everyone. Welcome to Making Room on the Pew, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. This is a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts, the people the gatekeepers of the faith love to keep out. Here we talk about building a fully inclusive church with the people who are actually out there in the world doing the work. Join us to learn more about experiences and perspectives different from your own while we create the church we are all longing for. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Mrs. Emmy Kegler. She is the pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Northeast Minneapolis and the founder and editor of Queer Grace, an encyclopedia of online resources around LGBTQ life and faith, which is actually how I met Emmy. I wrote a couple of articles for Queer Grace. Emmy has a master's in divinity from Luther Seminary in St. Paul and is an ordained pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. She was raised in the Episcopal Church and spent some time in the evangelical and non-denominational traditions before finally finding her home in the ELCA. She pastors a small, servant-hearted neighborhood congregation in Northeast Minneapolis focused on feeding the hungry and community outreach and is the co-leader of the Queer Grace Community, a group of LGBTQ Christians in the Twin Cities who meet for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. She lives in St. Paul and enjoys biking, board games, books, and spending time with her wife, Michelle, and their two dogs, and cat. Friends, help me welcome to the Making Room on the Pew podcast, Reverend Mrs. Emmy Kegler. Hi, Emmy. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited um, about our conversation here. So I gave you a little like professional intro at the top of the show before we started recording, but I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about you, just in your own words, who is Emmy Kegler? Sure. Um, Not knowing what you said, um, I am a Lutheran pastor serving a small congregation in Northeast Minneapolis. Um, I just got married about oh my gosh, seven weeks ago. And my wife is a veterinarian. She is also a trained yoga instructor and has one of the biggest, widest falling in love with every person she meets, hearts, um, just incredibly compassionate and loves adventure. So she brings this beautiful expanse to my life, both as far as experiences and as far as people. I love board games. I love to be outdoors. And I don't know, I I think I have a gluten sensitivity, which is just really tragic to discover as we're going into the holiday season. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, and also, yeah, congratulations on getting married. I just uh, got married too, like a couple of weeks after you. Like, doesn't it? still feel like all new and fun and exciting. It is. It's so amazing. And I'm still like the word wife hasn't like lost its sheen yet. Like every time I use it, I'm still just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I have a wife. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I was thinking about how I 
quote unquote, like met you, how we meet people, um, you know, online these days. And um, I realized it's through Queer Grace. Mm-hmm. So I actually emailed you um, maybe last year. It was about a year ago, I think, um, and asked if I could write an article for Queer Grace. Um, so that's kind of how we connected. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about Queer Grace because um, it's so cool. Like, this is such a beautiful and necessary resource for people. Um, I actually send people there all the time. I just had a friend a couple of weeks ago, uh, Facebook messaged me, like an old friend from like middle school and, uh, messaged me and said, my roommate just came out and she has a girlfriend and she thinks God hates her because that's what we were taught. And she thinks it's a sin. And how do I show her that like, she's still loved, um, and welcomed. Um, and so I got to, of course, like talk to her a little bit just one-on-one, but I also had that resource to say, go to Queer Grace. And I knew that she would be safe there. You know, like it's so different than um, telling someone, hey, why don't you just Google for this book? Like Google is uh, such a scary place to send people to try to find affirming uh, resources. Um, So I think this is just so cool that we kind of get to like come alongside people in that really tender time in life. Um, and help them through the internet. Um, So I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about that. Like, why did you begin Queer Grace? How did you begin it? Uh, What's the story behind that? Uh, Great. So Queer Grace is this outgrowth of a project that I've been doing basically since I was 19, which is having to answer the question from friends and strangers alike, how is it that you believe you can be gay and Christian? And, mm. you know, I was, I was answering this question when I was in college at 19 and beginning to learn how to use biblical interpretation and theological and philosophical analysis. Um, and at some point, it just became something that I did a lot. I would be, uh, so, so back in the day, um, this probably predates you because I think I'm a little older than you. Uh, before there were blog <laughs> posts and Twitter, if somebody said something stupid, you would write a letter to an editor to correct them. That is, um, um, that's really cool that this came out of you, like constantly having to uh, explain yourself or defend yourself, really, it sounds like. Um, did you, was there ever a time where you felt like you couldn't be gay and a Christian? Or was that just something that like you never really uh, thought about or struggled with? Like you just, you were like, nope, I am uh, fearfully and wonderfully made no matter what. And I'm loved. And, uh, that's it. Um, I was raised in a progressive household. Um, my mom is, uh, you know, very, very staunchly on the side of, of love. And so I did, I was not raised in a context where I would reject being gay. What, um, you know, I, I certainly didn't want to be gay and Christian. I mean, even though I grew up in an affirming and loving household, when I realized I was gay, I was like, oh, no, no, please, no. I didn't really pray to have it not be true. I just tried to pretend that it wasn't. Like, I'm just not going to think about this and it'll be fine, which of course it wasn't. But 
I mean, I was raised in a family and in a church where I was affirmed. And when I first encountered unaffirming theology, I mean, I, I knew unaffirming theology existed, but I really thought that it was people who lived like somewhere else, you know, like a different state. Um, right. And then the first time I encountered it in Minnesota was when I was going through my rebellious teen phase, which when you're raised in a progressive Episcopal household, you rebel by going to an assembly of God church. <laughs> and, oh wow um they you know preached this unaffirming message from the pulpit and i think i believed it for like a minute and a half and that was about as long and then i was like well you guys are idiots i'm out of here like i was it was very arrogant teenager like well i know better than you and i'm leaving right which i'm so grateful for like i was it was so arrogant and stubborn and teenagery at the time but I'm so grateful for it now that there was that streak in me that just said I'm not going to sit through this I'm out right because I see you know the scars that it leaves on others who are subjected to it for more than you know I think the three minutes that I sat through before I walked out and I want to talk a little bit about so you have like Queer Grace Online Mm -hmm. um the resource we've been talking about but then you also have a Queer Grace community Mm-hmm. at the church you're serving. Um, so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that too. Like what, what is, is that like? How did you um, start that? Absolutely. Um, about three or four months into um, my call, so my assignment at this congregation that I serve, Grace Lutheran, one of my members, Josh, came to me and said, you know, it's, it's Pride Month and you're, you know, a big advocate for LGBT people in the church and you're doing a lot just by being at our small congregation. And a lot of churches are very open during Minneapolis, Twin Cities Pride of like, we're affirming and we're going to have, you know, worship services designed around this or we'll have a presence at the Pride Parade or Festival. But then the other 11 months of the year, we don't really do anything about it. And I was like, yeah, Hmm. true. Okay. And he said, I think there needs to be a community that's specifically designed for LGBTQ people and led by LGBTQ people that meets and, you know, wrestles with scripture, engages with community, um, has worship that's really got like an evangelical tint, because that's where we're getting so many people right now is they're coming out of evangelicalism or non-denominational congregations and trying to welcome them into like a pretty mainline Lutheran church that has for an example I made jokes this Sunday about like oh Advent's coming up and like make sure you bring back your Advent wreaths because we'll be working on those next week so make sure you bring your candles and your decorations back and a new person who's been hanging out with our congregation said afterwards to another person okay but what is Advent Mm -hmm. because to me that's just a word like of course you know what Advent is like everybody knows what Advent is but no a lot of the people who are coming out of um, non-denominational and evangelical unaffirming theology are finding that the only options they have are mainline churches that have all their language. And so Josh was talking about like, how do we drop that barrier? We don't have that insider language or our insider language is like jokes about how many people in our church wear flannel. You know, they're, they're queer insider language jokes. Right. That. Um, and I have been watching on uh, Facebook because you guys do Facebook live. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, and I have noticed that most, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, of the leadership 
comes from queer people in the church, right? Oh yeah. It's all, it's all queer people. Yeah. Yeah. I, oh my gosh. I love that. Can you talk a little bit about why it's so important that it's led by queer people and not, um, and, and not like straight cisgendered, uh, people instead? Um, I mean, I think partly because we have this deep well of queer and Christian talent in the Twin Cities. Um, you know, the, the Twin Cities has long been um, kind of a space for, I'll say mainline progressivism, um, especially in the Lutheran church. And so we have a good number of people already here. So to say, you know, so to, to some extent it's affirmative action, right? Like, okay, we have a lot of qualified mm-hmm. people all around the table here there's a lot of us who don't get to be centered ever and we're going to center those voices. So that was part of it, but especially just in creating the community, how how are we going to be, it it would have felt almost like some sort of um, weird version of missionary work where you're, you go in and you're teaching the people without understanding the culture first. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, I mean, it just made sense, I guess. It just made sense to us. Like, well, of course, the leadership will be people from our own community. We have the we have the opportunity to do that. We have the people who can do that. Why would we not center those voices that are so often decentered? Right. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, and I know it seems like um, common sense. Like, well, you, you're having uh, a gathering for queer people. Why would queer people not be... Um, leading it but like I know plenty of uh straight cisgendered people who would be like oh this would be a really cool thing because I know a lot of people who um a lot of queer people who need this so I'll lead it because I know how to do it so I I know it seems like um common sense but I love that that was intentional and I've talked to some um cishet people who are like well I kind of want to reproduce you know what you're doing with queer grace community in my own community but we don't have a lot of openly you know we don't have a lot of out queer or trans Christians and in that case I say like great you know be the advocate use your allyship to speak up for us but once you start finding those leaders who are within the community who really understand the struggle of having a foot in both communities and both communities is ridiculous because the communities have always overlapped but once you have somebody who understands what that's like start lifting them into leadership positions but um of course where it's necessary you know i would never I'm not in the position at this time to say, well, if you don't have, you know, a, an LGBT person who can lead this, then you can't have it at all. You know, if there are allies who are good hearted and are willing to step into a vacuum, great. Right. Exists because you're not paying attention. That's when we get into danger. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, um, Uh, we're going to circle back around to this idea of um, creating an inclusive church Mm. for the queer community. But I want to talk first about your book. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's so weird. Book writing either moves at a snail's pace or is very intense and immediate. So when I was writing it, you know, I was doing all this wrestling with the, the content, but nobody else knew what I was writing because I was churning it out so quickly that I didn't have any, you know, readers. And then I turned it into my editor. 
And then I got it back from my editor and then we go back and forth. And then suddenly everything goes quiet for a while. And then, oh, here's the cover for the book. And then it goes quiet for a while. Oh, here's who, you know, we got your foreword from Rachel. And then it goes quiet again. And right now we're in that quiet time of like not much is happening. And so when people, hey, you wrote a book. I'm like, oh yeah, I did. I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, oh gosh, that's funny. And it's not even out um, yet. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> um, that's so cool. Um, so it's called, for all our listeners, One Coin Found, How God's Love Stretches to the Margins. Yes. Um, that is an amazing title. I mean, I, I saw that when you, I think you tweeted it out maybe. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so good. Like that, that totally makes me want to read the book. Um, Yay, good. That's what it's I supposed didn't, to do. Like know you first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I know that there's like excerpts on your, your website that people can go read, but um, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your book, like what it is, what kind of uh, content is in there, how you got to write the book. Like, it's just, it's so exciting. And I have so many questions for you. <laughs> so I'm going to try to limit them. So I, I don't ask you like 10 questions and expect you to answer them all. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So what it is, is it's my, it, it has some resemblance to a memoir, but it's basically my story of growing up you know, white, Midwestern, female, and queer, and figuring out, you know, how do all of these aspects of who I am intersect with this faith that I've been given, really, and that I've been introduced into, and that I now lay claim to as an adult. And especially, you know, it, the, the book deals with, you know, different events in my life where my, my gayness or my queerness, I identified as gay when I was younger, I identify as queer now. And so I try to use those terms kind of in conjunction with where they fell during my lifetime line. So there were times when I was a kid, you know, or as I talked about with the unaffirming church where being gay and being Christian caused a rift in me and then how did I resolve that what did I wrestle with how did it come out um ha that was a pun unintentional how did it come out <laughs> um and then, you know following my call into ministry what does that look like for you know a queer person for a woman for someone who's you know waking up to their own whiteness in um I don't even like in the mess of the country that we're in right now and so all of those themes are woven into this and then intentional wrestling I keep saying wrestling um but that's that's my favorite verb for scripture intentional wrestling with different parts of scripture how do I understand you know the different ways that scripture has been used to talk about mental illness or to talk about um gender or to talk about you know the relationships that we have with our parents and our family and what do I do with these core verses and stories how do they make sense for me and how do I help them through making sense for me make sense for others Wow. I like that. Um, and I, I like that you kept using the word wrestle. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that's something that I think is, is so important, um, especially now, like where our country and where our culture is. Um, we need people who are willing to look at um, scripture and and wrestle with it and find the good um, in every bit of it and find the uh, 
unexpected, I think, I think too, um, rather than just taking a verse and saying, well, uh, God settled or God said it or the Bible said it and I believe it. So that's it. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I like that a lot. Um, so I also kind of want to talk about this, um, recurring theme Mm. in your life and, um, in your ministry, it seems of the lost and found coins. Um, Mm. I, so, I mean, it, it says on your website, it's the title of your book. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you shared on social media a while ago that you have a tattoo that has to do with it. Like, uh, tell us the story behind that. Like, what is this recurring theme? Yeah. Um, really where the theme started to come to a head was a few years ago and I was working on a talk for the women's retreat at the uh, what was then the gay Christian network conference and I was trying to think of like what's the scripture that I want people to hold on to like how do I you know how do I want to frame this talk that I'm giving and I really was just thinking about like wow we feel there's so much in us that feels like you know lost sheep or the prodigal son like we've wandered away and the shepherd has to go back for us or like we've gone away and gone into our own sinfulness and that kind of thing and then how do we re- contextualize that because that's how that scripture is often used against queer people and then how do we reorient ourselves and I looked at just the three verses that fall between those two stories so it's Luke 15 and so the sheep is 15 1 through 7 and then the prodigal son starts at 11 and goes through 32 uh, verses and then right in the middle in verses 8 through 10 is this story of you know what woman having lost one coin doesn't sweep the house looking for it until she finds it and I was like hang on in the story previous with the shepherd we are supposed to be the sheep and God is the shepherd right and God goes looking for the lost sheep and brings it back and rejoices and then in the last story God is supposed to be the father right the prodigal son goes away spends his money comes back and the father lavishes him with gifts and welcome home even before the son has stumbled out his you know apology why have I never been taught that God is also the woman who is sweeping the floor looking for the coin Mm. And so that's when I really like hooked on it, just going like, wow, this has like, it's about God's relentless pursuit of that, which is lost about that, which is lost, not by its own accord, because coins have no agency, right? Like coins are lost because the person who was given them was careless with them. And how often has that been true um, for so many people who find themselves on the margins of Christianity? It's not that they've put themselves there, but rather leaders or others who were entrusted with their worth misspent them misused them threw them in a drawer and forgot about them and then to think of god being the woman who's now searching out those coins that are missing you know like god flat on her stomach digging through dust bunnies under a dresser that just like hooked me and after that i was like that's that's it i don't like this is this is all i ever want to talk about ever is just finding lost coins and um so that became, you know, my, my sort of tagline for like the way that I'm trying to live into my calling to ministry is like, I want to 
through my experience and through collecting, you know, and, and being able to lift up and amplify the experiences of others, I want to be a way for lost coins to be found again. And so, um, yeah, I have a, I have a tattoo. It's the nine coins. Um, and then there's one missing, obviously the 10th coin is missing and it's spaced um, perfectly. My tattoo artist and I worked on this so that a, a penny is basically the same size as the coins. Cause I kept finding pennies everywhere. And I know that this is not an unusual thing. Like pennies are worthless and we leave them wherever and we don't care. But whenever I was feeling really exhausted with mystery or feeling just pushed too far in whatever I was doing, I would find a penny and it would help me. Like I would feel recentered again. And so that's, so now I have a tattoo. So every time I find a penny, I can fit it in that slot and be like, right, right. What am I doing this for? I'm not doing this for, you know, any of the things that are exhausting me. I'm doing this for the ones who are still lost and long to be found. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I, um, I have chills <laughs> and I'm like trying to think of something um, like uh, eloquent to say and um, I I don't have anything so I think I am just going to like leave that on its own um, that's amazing I I love that story I have actually been wondering um, about this coin mm-hmm. uh, theme for a while um, and that was better than I thought it was gonna mm-hmm. be um, so thank you yeah for sharing that with us um, so to echo your Uh, book's subtitle. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering um, what is the most impactful or or maybe surprising um, thing that you have discovered on this journey of finding that God's love stretches to the margins? That's such a great question. And I feel so, I feel pulled in like multiple directions. So I don't know, listeners, if you want to know my six other answers to this question, please go online and pre-order my book because they're all in there, but I'll pick just one. Um, And I think it's, I'll say it's that through, um, you know, through, through recognizing the way that God's love stretched, especially to the margins where, um, LGBTQ people had been pushed, recognizing how God's love was meeting me there and seeking me out and and making space for me there, opened my eyes to the way that God is doing that work for others. Um, I like to think that if I'd been born cisgender and heterosexual, that I would also be, you know, passionate about social justice and awake to, you know, or awakening to aspects of the the way hill in this country or not downhill but the ways we're becoming more aware of how we are already downhill um i'd like to think that i would have done that but i know for certain because of my identity as a queer woman i became so much more aware of the sufferings and the marginalization and the oppression of others like once i saw that reflected in my own life and also saw how god was meeting me there how god was searching me out how god was crying out in the scriptures and in the witness of the people around me to make space for me to declare that my decentralization was not right um you know was not righteous or holy but rather that i was meant to be a part of god's family just as i am i started seeing those same streaks of oppression and marginalization happening in other communities right in communities of color um, and in so many different ways within communities of color right they're not monolithic um within um you know 
gender identity, obviously, against um, transgender people and against non-binary people, against women in general, against um, people who experience, um, who are differently abled or who are disabled, you know, to see um, the ways that marginalization is happening both politically and in the church against people like that was so crucial for me growing into the person and the pastor that I am now. And I don't know that it would not have happened the same way if I wasn't queer. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right that um, being pushed to the margins um, in any aspect of your life really pulls your attention to how others are pushed to the margins. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way that, yeah, I would like to think that, um, you know, the, the girl who majored in, in social work through college would still be this passionate, um, about social justice, uh, issues and about, um, the things that I'm passionate about now, Mm. but you're right. I think, I think, uh, experiencing, um, oppression, which, you know, my oppression is definitely, uh, uh, not that severe of, of other people's oppression, but experiencing that in any sort of capacity really brought my attention to other people and their suffering. Um, and I think that's, uh, such a valuable, um, uh, such a valuable lesson, um, for us. And I really like that when you're pulling people, uh, people's attention to the margins it -hmm. doesn't feel like uh oh well you're on the margins so like here's a little bit of god's grace Mm -hmm. or of love you know like i mean and really if we think about it jesus definitely lived on the margins like i i don't know when we decided that people on the margins were uh less than or uh not as holy Mm -hmm. Uh, or not as loved, um, when that's literally where Jesus was all the time. Um, and as we're yeah. building up towards Christmas and we're seeing, you know, when God chooses to become incarnate among us, God rejects the idea of being, you know, born in Herod's palace where the wise men show up expecting this newborn king who's been prophesied by the stars, you know, is born in tiny little Bethlehem, you know, the littlest of the clans Mm -hmm. and, you know, is born to a, you know, a young girl and her, you know, blue collar carpenter fiance that the heralds and the angels announce it not to you know not to the wise men not to the king not to anybody important not even to the innkeeper to get the kid a room but rather they find shepherds in the fields with their smelly flocks and that's who gets announced this incredible like cosmos altering experience the God is just choosing the margins every single time. And it's amazing. Yes. Yes. Um, gosh, well, thanks for, for sharing um, that little bit about uh, your book. And definitely um, everyone should go read it. And I, we'll talk about that at the end um, where everyone can find that. But uh, here, as we start to wrap up our conversation, circling back to the idea of building um, a church fully inclusive of the LGBTQ community, you do this really well and you do a, a lot of work um, 
around this. So I'm wondering if you can give us um, some ideas of what we can do in our own churches to make them more uh, accessible and more welcoming to the queer community. Yeah. Um, Wow. Again, attacked by 18 ideas. Okay, everybody get in a line. All right. Um, Yeah, so some of it is about being just honest about where a congregation is. And that means, you know, sometimes taking the temperature of other congregations in the neighborhood and being able to say like, oh, wow, we are you know, we're, we're not an affirming congregation for whatever reason, you know, we, we're not within an affirming denomination. We're not. And, you know, we, we haven't gone through a process as a congregation to be publicly affirming, whatever. And yet I know that there's another church nearby that is, how can I partner with them, support them, talk to them? Can I send people to them when they have questions that we as an unaffirming church aren't able to answer, you know, um, breaking down that kind of American uh, consumer culture around churches. Like we have to keep our customers here. Like if you're, if your people can find the spiritual nurturing they need elsewhere, I think it's, it's the duty of at least a pastor to care for that. Um, so there, so there, there is that aspect of being honest about where is our congregation situated and what's going on in our congregation. Are we affirming? Are we, you know, sort of, are, are we acting affirming? Or are we acting often what churches can do is they're welcoming, like everyone is welcome. And that's the phrase that often mm-hmm. ends up on church signs is all are welcome. Mean, like, does that mean I'm okay, I can come in the door. But does that mean if I hold hands with my wife, will we get stared at? If I introduce her as my wife, will we experience discomfort? If we kiss during the passing of the peace? what's going to be the reaction of people around us if we ask you to baptize our child or if we hadn't been married yet and we ask you to consecrate our marriage you know what is the church and the pastor ready to do in that situation and i think at the very least a church and its leaders need to know where they're at sometimes that means you know we're we're not anywhere we're in this weird middle space of like we don't want to talk about it because it's upsetting and people get the emotional and so we're just going to skip it and we're not going to deal with it which means no we probably can't you know perform same gender marriages and things might be a little awkward if you kiss at the passing of the peace and it's a pastor's job to be honest about that when um queer people start you know reaching out and going like hey is this if someone sends you an email it was like hey is your church welcoming to lgbt people and you're like of course we're welcoming but you can't get married and we're not going to baptize your children Mm-hmm. That is not welcoming. Yes. You may quote me on that, but that is how people use the word. Um, so, but like, just be honest, right? Just say like, you know, you know, we can do, you know, everyone is welcome. You'll be certainly warmly welcomed and you'll be able to do, you can participate in this, this, and this, but don't, you know, bait and switch say, well, of course you're welcome. And then two years down the line, when you have all those ties that we talked about at the beginning of this, that web that you're so interconnected with, and then you go, well, great. I want to bring my girlfriend to church. And everybody goes, I'm sorry, you're what? And suddenly you have to decide if you have to cut all those ties, just be honest, just tell us where you're at. If you, if you were a non-affirming church, just, just say it, just put it stop doing theological malpractice and just put it on your website just put it on there so that we don't have to you know like re-traumatize ourselves trying to figure out 
if the church that we're looking at is going to be a safe space for us. Just, just have a thing on your website that says like, we affirm that, like it's it's difficult for me to for me to even pronounce the words like say something about how marriage is between one man and one woman or something just like be clear just be clear um, yeah and i honestly think that being clear about not being welcoming is more welcoming because it allows queer people to go you know what nope spending my energy preserving my spiritual sense of self saving myself from religious trauma going somewhere else that is a welcoming practice to say actively we are not welcoming um, yeah, that's now let's say you're on the other side of that in the sense of you, you want to make your church more welcoming in the sense of you want to be a space that people feel free to bring their same gender partners to, or to ask for their same gender marriage to be consecrated or to talk about their transition and their gender identity or anything else within the LGBTQ life spectrum. Um, it's going to take some education. People generally, um, like people as in American Christians know what a gay couple looks like now. Like we're pretty solid on that. Um, Mm -hmm. and we have accepted that, like, we know what they look like. Like we have paradigms for them and we, you know, mm -mm, we might use, like, we can use spouse or we'll use partner. People are comfortable Mm -hmm. with those words. Um, but some education around like, how, how do we interpret that as far as the context of the Bible goes and, and our own church tradition? If you're not sure where to start, a great resource is queergrace.com. I made it just for you. <laughs> um, so, you know, use, use those resources. Um, there's gonna, if, if you really want to be welcoming to the queer community as a whole, you're likely going to need to do some education around what it means to be um, transgender because uh, that's, that, that T is one quarter of the acronym and we are bringing them with us. Um, so, so what does it mean to be transgender? How do we understand that? How do we um, contextualize it in light of the Bible? Again, I wrote some stuff for you, just for you on queergrace.com. Actually, I didn't write it. My dear friend, Austin Hartke wrote it because he's trans and he is going to be centered in that conversation. He also wrote a whole book on it. You can buy a book right now to talk about what does it mean to be transgender? How do we interpret it in light of the Bible? Who are other gender non-conforming people in the Bible? And what does that mean for churches today? Um, so if you have a church book group, if you want to do a sermon series on a book, like that's a really great, beautifully in-depth, theologically rich place to start. Um, so there's going to be some education. Um, I'm going to pause there. But again, um, if you'd like to think more about um, how to make churches welcoming, there are also some articles on queergrace.com that go even further into different aspects of what welcome looks like and what it might mean for individual churches. So feel free to go there so that I don't have to ramble at you for another 20 minutes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I, um, yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. I, um, love that you talked about um, being honest about where the church is. And I I think that's such an important thing that, you know, a couple of people in a church will get really excited and uh, because they're affirming and think Mm -hmm. that they're going to change the whole church and bring it with them. And what, uh, 
what sometimes we don't realize is that trying to do that actually harms everyone Mm -hmm. involved. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that you mentioned that. And also I really appreciate that you brought in um, education, particularly around uh, transgender people. I think that's really, really important, especially with you and I, two queer women Mm -hmm. sitting here talking, we definitely needed to bring that in. Um, So I appreciate that a lot. Um, And for everyone, if you didn't get it, uh, the couple of times we have said queergrace.com, I will also link that (laughs) because no, it really is uh, a really amazing resource that um, people should definitely check out in this conversation. Um, Okay. So before we wrap up completely, do you have uh, anything else you want to add, talk about, tell people where to find you? Uh, Can they pre-order your book? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. All the things. Uh, You can find me online. I basically live there. You can find me on Twitter at Emmy Kegler on Facebook, also at Emmy Kegler on Instagram, Emmy Kegler and also at emmykegler.com. So it's very convenient. It's all the same name. I made this easy. Making it easy. (laughs) Um, Of course, you can find resources at queergrace.com as well. And you can find, um, if you go to onecoinfound.com, it redirects to the posts on my website that are just about the book. And the first link on the top is going to be the pre-order. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Emmy today. Um, I learned so much from her. I hope you did too. Um, like Emmy said, you can uh, touch base with her online, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all at Emmy Kegler. Um, and then, of course, EmmyKegler.com. Uh, make sure to check out her book, guys. That is coming out so soon. Um you're going to want to get your hands on that. Okay, friends, one last thing here before I sign off. If this podcast is encouraging you or positively impacting you in any way, please take a few seconds to hit that subscribe button and leave a review that really helps new listeners find this content. And if it is good for you, I hope it will be good for others who find us along the way. Of course, you can always connect with me as well on my website, baileyjoewelch.com and on Instagram and Twitter at baileyjoewelch.com. Welch. Now, once you get there, either to my website or my Instagram or Twitter page, you will notice that it does say Bailey Welch Pomerantz because I did just get married in November, but I am going to go ahead and leave the handles in the actual web address as Bailey Joe Welch so you guys can find me a little bit easier. All right, guys, I'll see you next week.